We're reading tonight from Acts, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. I haven't got a church Bible in front of me, but I think it's on one, one, double one. Even I can remember that. One, one, double one, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, the Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. If you were here for the missionary weekend when um, Ray Porter was speaking, you would have um, seen some quite remarkable statistics in many ways about the situation of the uh, church today. Uh, many of those can be found in the, uh, the new edition of Operation World, which I would recommend that you get if you haven't already. And what is clear from what he showed us was that um, Europe, rather than being the missionary sending continent that it once was, is now very much the recipient of missionaries from other parts of the world. And I think there's a map hopefully coming up behind me which will um, show how that is the case. Um, but whilst Europe has become almost a continent of prodigals, if you like, it was from Europe that the gospel went out to the whole world. And I think we owe a lot of our uh, European civilization, if you like, to, to the gospel. If we think of what we know in terms of human rights, of law, of medicine, education, etc. It's from that Christian heritage. And that gospel in Europe was planted by a small group of Christians, led by Paul, who followed a vision of a man calling out to them to cross a small sea in what we now know as northern Turkey. And the cry was, come over and help us. Come over and help us. And Paul and his companions knew the greatest help that the people in Europe needed was to know Jesus Christ, to know the salvation that he can bring. And so as they responded to that call, the church in Europe was planted as Jesus said himself, it started the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed, which grew into a tree. Well, in this new sermon series, we're looking at uh, 
We are looking at the spread of the gospel, and in particular we're looking at Paul's second missionary journey to Europe, which uh, these chapters of Acts cover. And I hope as we go through this series, we will have a greater vision for evangelism ourselves, but, but also that we have a greater admiration for the, the plans of God, the power of the gospel for salvation, as we see one person after another coming to believe, many of the most unlikely people. For the benefit of those um, like me who like to see things on a map, to visualise them, to know where you're going, I can't keep it in your head, um, we should have a map here of Paul's uh, first missionary journey. And um, this is where he set off from. And this is the first missionary journey where he went um, by Cyprus, Paphos, over here to Pamphylia, up to Lystra, Derby, and back again. And by the shortcut here. That was the first missionary journey. Um, if we look at. Um, chapter 15 of Acts, we get a bit of an idea of who we're, we're talking about, who his companions are. And um, at the end of chapter 15, we're told that the church here chose two leaders, Judas and Silas, and sent them with Paul and Barnabas to go to the churches in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. And having strengthened and encouraged the believers there, it says Judas and Silas returned to Jerusalem while Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas <coughs> remained in Antioch. Now, that's where Paul and Barnabas had their little bit of a, a disagreement uh, about who to take with them. And um, they ended up going separate ways. Paul went with Silas through Syria and Cilicia for the purpose of strengthening the churches. And uh, when he got to, to Lystra, he met um, Timothy and persuaded Timothy to come along with them. As they, tra- as they travelled from town to town, we're told that the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And notice how those two go together. They were strengthened in faith and they grew in numbers. So where do they go from there then? Well, it says they travel throughout the region of Thrygia and Galatia. And I think if we can have the, uh, the second uh, the map up, the second missionary journey. I think I need to do it. So. There we go. It should be coming up shortly in a minute. Okay, this is where we go, go next. Um, they travel throughout the region of, of Thrygia and Galatia. Why? Because verse 6 of uh, chapter 16 tells us they were kept, they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They pushed at the door of Asia and they found it was shut. And now if you think how strategic Ephesus would have been, that's uh, down here, and they are here, you would have thought, why would God not want them to, to spread the gospel there? Why didn't he want them to go directly there? Why wouldn't God want the gospel <coughs> to be preached anywhere, really? Why would he stop um, them doing that? Well, we'll come on to that in a bit, but what do they then do? Well, they come to the border of, of Mysia. Um, up here, they try to enter Bithynia. They want to maybe spread the word there. But again, it tells us here the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that. And so once again, the door was shut. And so we're told that they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which you'll find up here. And it's in Troas that Paul had the vision of a man from Macedonia, Macedonia being this area up here, calling over to them, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
After Paul had seen the vision um, at night time, presumably the following morning at breakfast, maybe he got together with the others and explained what he'd seen. And they all agreed this must be from God. And they prepared to set off. And this is where they were joined by another person, that is the writer of the book of Acts, that is Luke, because it now says, um, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, or convinced, in verse 10, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And as if to confirm this calling, as soon as they put out to sea, it says they sailed straight to Samothrake, the island of Samothrake, In other words, they found this this wind, this steady wind, which took them straight there, and then the next day on to Neapolis. Now, I'm I'm not a a sailor, but I did a little bit of um, windsurfing a few years ago, and I may have told you the story before of how I once got stranded out at sea. And um, if you know a little bit about windsurfing, it's quite hard work, um, particularly when the waves are a bit choppy, the wind is gusty. Um, you have to climb onto the board in the first place, you have to pull this sail up, and when it's covered in water, it's quite a heavy thing to pull up. Um, you get going, and then if it's gusty, the wind will just sort of throw you into the water again. You climb up again on the board, you pull this sail up, you get going again, the wind will sort of keep going, and it'll stop, and you, you fall backwards, and you get up again. And after a while, you feel totally drained. Um, your energy's gone. Uh, and that was the case for me. I was almost at the end, and I prayed to God, look, um, if you don't get me in this time back to shore, I'm just going to have to lie on this, uh, this surfboard and wait, hopefully, for somebody to come and pick me up. And as I prayed, I gave it one more go, and I got a steady wind, um, no gusts, the waves were okay, and I went all the way back into shore and lived to tell a tale. But that, that was a steady wind that took me into shore. And I think what, what is going on here with what he's saying is the straight wind which took them is that God is confirming, this is where I want you to go. You've heard the call. I'm confirming to you now. And I'm going to make sure that you get to where <coughs> I want you to go. You're on the right path. Just follow my leading. And if we think about what can we take away from this story today about the way the Spirit guides us. Um, first of all, we see here that Paul and his companions have a calling. And that calling is to preach the gospel. Um, They've been called by God to do that. They don't know where, though. They know they have to strengthen churches. They know they have to preach the gospel so that people will come to faith. But the question is, where do we do that? There's a huge mission field out there. Where, God, do you want us to to go? And at one level, they are expected to use human wisdom to to develop some sort of strategy. Um, as we saw on that map, if you're in Iconium, why not go to, to Ephesus? There's a big centre there, strategic, why not go there? But the door was shut. Okay, so where do we go next? Let's travel around the area, and after that, let's try somewhere else. But the, again, the door was shut, so let's move on to Troas. And the difference when they get to Troas is that rather than just getting an open door here, now they get a positive leading by the Spirit. This is where... I want you to go. And so what we have here is the Spirit's leading, but in two different ways, a a negative, a closing of doors, and a positive, an opening of doors. But it came while they were already doing the Lord's work. I think that's the crucial point here. If we just waited and sat down waiting for a positive leading by the Spirit, we as a church would probably end up never actually doing anything. Somebody may say, well, actually, I think God is telling me to, to do this. And somebody else say, well, actually, he's not telling me to do that. Um, 
And so you end up as a church maybe not doing anything. Alternatively, if we just went off and did anything, our own thing, and never consulted the Lord and, and prayed about it and committed it to him, we would probably end up doing an awful lot, but it would be pretty unproductive. Paul and his companions didn't wait for the Spirit before they did something. They set off. They knew their basic calling to preach the word, and so they set off and looked for the Spirit's guidance along the way. Which meant that when, <coughs> when doors were closed... We're not told that they were discouraged, that they felt like giving up. (coughs) They just tried something else. And eventually they were in the right place at the right time for the Lord to speak to them in a positive way and say, go now to Europe. When they faced the shut door, they could have just said, well, let's just go home and uh, wait for the Spirit to tell us what to do next. But then they may never have received that vision in Troas. God was leading them to this point. And I think the same goes for us as a church. You know, when I think of Cornerstone, there was a, a strong sense amongst us as leaders that this was of the law, that the timing was right to start this church. And as if to confirm that, God enabled things to happen. In, in a place like Tame, where there weren't any obvious venues to start, to start a church, suddenly John Hamden School became available. Now, the building project has been a little bit different. There was not that same sense of conviction by everybody that this was the right thing but there was a consensus that we should go as far as the Lord will allow us to go now the first door the the first application has been shut and so we're trying another one now it may be that God shuts this door too we don't know that yet but it's encouraging this time that there are more people behind it it's encouraging that uh, more doors have started to open and we can only pray that as we go on further that um the Lord will increase our conviction and make it plain sailing if that is really what he wants us to do. We don't know unless we try and push at those doors. The Spirit leads in a positive way, but also in a negative way. Well, secondly, how did um, Paul and his companions um, uh, decide where and what to do when they arrived in uh, Neapolis, in Macedonia? Well, they walked the ten miles or so to the city of Philippi, Philippi, uh, a city named after the father of Alexander the Great. What do we know about Philippi? Well, the passage doesn't tell us much. It just tells us it was a Roman colony. And it tells us it was the leading city of Macedonia. Now, if we read the commentaries, we can find out that this was a, a gold-producing region. It was on the main road leading from the eastern provinces all the way to Rome. So it was an economic prosperous. It was... Uh, politically important city. Uh, And as a Roman colony, the citizens there prided themselves on uh, being Romans, they dressed like Romans, and they probably spoke a lot of Latin as well. Now, if your mission is to spread the good news about Jesus, and you arrive somewhere like Philippi, it's going to be daunting, it's going to be exciting, but where do you start? Where do you start? Well, there are other cities... Paul had gone straight to the synagogue. At least he had something in common there with the the Jews and was able to then to to speak to them about Jesus and persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But here there was no synagogue, maybe because of the strong Roman influence. And so what do they do? Well, it says in verse 13 that uh, on the Sabbath they went outside the city gate to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. 
Now, it's not clear whether they meant by a place of prayer, a place of quiet, where they could get away from the hustle and bustle of the city, or whether they expected to find some Jews worshipping God. But they do find a number of women here, um, people who were spiritually open, people who had come to worship God. And so they begin to speak to them. One of those listening was a woman here named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, we're told, from the city of Thyatira. And Thyatira was um, a city in Asia, but obviously she'd seen the, the business opportunity here, a Roman colony. They liked lots of purple cloth to dress like Romans. And so she made a good business out of it. Well, what are we to make of this strategy? I mean, some don't like to think of evangelism in strategic terms. It makes it sound a little bit um, almost clinical. Um, But it's not a particularly complicated strategy they're, they're, they're pursuing here. What Paul and his companions did, as they did in many places, was look for where there was something already, a light, some, some embers, some interest in spiritual things, and fan those embers into flames. And in a sense, it's a, it's, a, it's a normal thing. If you want to get something done, you, you look for somebody with an interest in that thing. It's difficult to, to put an interest in somebody. It's much easier to find an interest and grow it. And I think the same applies to us today. If we're thinking about how do we share our faith, who do we speak to? Of course, we, we look for opportunities all the time to, to share our faith. But in the course of conversation, you can speak to one person and there'll be a fascination there, there'll be an interest, they'll be asking questions back. You can speak to somebody else and you'll just see their, their eyes glaze over or they'll just try and change the subject and get on to more comfortable ground. Likewise, you can invite two people to a, a church event and one will quickly accept the invitation, be interested, another will say, well, actually, no, I'm busy that day and the following day and the one after that as well, in case you're going to change the date. In both cases, we continue to pray for people, don't you? We continue to pray that they, these people will show an interest. But if the Lord has given us an opening with that person who has shown an interest, that means that he's started to work in them. He's started to do a work of grace. And it's a question of looking where the Spirit is at work. And we don't know why the Spirit chooses to work in some and not in others, or at different times and different places. We're told in John 3, the wind or the spirit blows wherever it pleases. That applies to individuals, that applies to, to countries. You, know, you may think evangelism is hard in this country, but try going to France. As many of you know, we um, had a, a twinning relationship with a small church plant in France, which... Um, sadly fizzled out when problems came along. But we saw an opening there. We saw a group of people who were alive for the Lord and we prayed that something would grow out of that. And we don't know why it didn't. But we pray that there are still embers there that will be fanned into flame at another time in the Lord's timing. Paul and his companions here looked for where the people were interested in the gospel, where the Spirit was at work. And having found those who were receptive to the gospel, what did Paul and his companions do? They simply began to speak. And by God's grace, the women listened. And one of those listening was Lydia. And we're told here, 
In verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul was the one who was gifted in speaking. The one the others sort of pushed forward and said, get on with it, Paul, now's your moment, now's your chance. He was the one who could answer questions. Paul was the one who gave the message. It wasn't Paul's message, though. It was the message that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus died, that he rose to life, that we may be forgiven, that we can have eternal life if we trust in him, if we follow him. The others there, I'm sure, were were praying quietly as Paul spoke. I'm sure they would have been having other conversations around with, with others there. And that message of Paul's here was the same wherever he went. He may have emphasised different things at different times, depending on the people who he was speaking to, depending whether they were Jews or Greeks. But ultimately, that message was that salvation can be found in no one else but Jesus. That message will be received differently. And the difference is in whether the Spirit allows that person to understand and whether the Spirit opens the heart of that person to respond. Whether, as the disciples on the road to Emmaus would be stirred up to say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The Spirit was alive in them. He was working in them. Ultimately, the results of Paul's and his group's efforts were because the Lord opened her heart Now, you may ask, wasn't it enough here that, as it says, she worshipped God? Um, But it appears here that the answer is no, isn't it? The issue of what will happen to those who think they are worshipping God is one which people have always wrestled with. It's been reignited recently by a new book um, by Rob Bell called Love Wins in which he adopts a a universalist position. And to be fair, universalism covers a whole range of views. And there's an article, if you read the uh, magazines um, out the front, uh, Christianity, will we all be saved? The um, writer there looks at what is universalism, the different ideas in universalism, and uh, gives a good summary of those, ranging from the the sort of one extreme that all people will be saved irrespective of their faith or even if they really want to be saved, um, to, to another view that um, people will be saved according to their understanding of God or people will be saved maybe after they die, they will have a chance to respond. But ultimately, as the writer of the article, Greg Downs, finishes his article, what he says there, he says, let me just quote from him, he says, while I would sometimes like to be a universalist, I remain unconvinced that it is true. That's why today, when I messaged my new Facebook friend, Muhammad, I sent him a link to a website explaining how God can be known personally through Jesus Christ. To be sure, love wins, but not at the expense of truth. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the gospel message. And finally, open hearts lead to open homes. She responded by being baptised, baptism being that very visible symbol of an invisible grace. It's demonstrating on the outside what God has done within us. And there's a power in that, both to the one being baptised 
as well as to those witnessing the person being baptised. I notice here that there's no sense of when she's fully understood the gospel, um, when she was ready to be baptised, when the Lord felt, when she felt the Lord was telling her to be baptised. It was an immediate consequence of giving her life to Jesus. She was baptised. The second she opens her home, it's interesting here, if you consider me a believer, she says to Paul, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She's saying, I want you to be my guest. I want we are equal in the Lord now. We are brother and sister. We want to share the love that we all have. And maybe this home of Lydia's is where the church in Europe started. Just a very humble gathering of Christians in a woman's house. What a wonderful beginning. And I hope you should encourage us as to the potential that our homes, that our streets have for the gospel. I know a number of you had um, street parties on Friday. We had one in Lower End and it was great to see people of all ages coming together, some meeting for the first time, people um, living next to each other but not even knowing who is in the house next door to them. Barriers being broken down, God's common grace to be at work. What we are doing with our building project is in many ways trying to make our our spiritual home here. Of course the, the church is the people but to have a building where we can welcome people in as well as go out is a great privilege. We want to, a building to be used for the gospel. To open our home, whether it's uh, our own individual home, whether it's this church building, is to share what we have, is to share what we have with our fellow believers. And what we're going to do now is we, we come around the Lord's table is to acknowledge what we have in common. That we are all saved. If we're able to take part in this supper, if we're able to to say, if we're able to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, then we can share in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can share in salvation that belongs to him.